0: G'day, welcome to the show. This is 24 Ideas for 2024. It's better than yesterday. This is a podcast that's been here since 2013. I've been here since 2013. Every episode, just trying to make it better than yesterday. That's what I'm here to do because I'm interested in it being a little better than it was the day before. That's it. I've found a great amount of value in my life chasing that down. And over the last couple of years, this is actually the fifth year I've done this, I have brought an annual episode around this time of year based around ideas because I'm fascinated by possibility. I'm fascinated by creativity. It was a quick list when I began this. It's grown since then into a number of episodes. This is the last episode. 24 ideas for 2024. This is idea number 21. I know I've been talking a bit about elections, but that referendum really threw me. So put spending caps on political campaigns and start the mandatory disclosure on the identity of donors Round about the average price of lunch for two at Rockpool. We are told that our vote holds power. But you and I both know that the real decisions are made by lobbyists who have access to power, sometimes because... At the previous election, they had the job of the person that they are lobbying. So when the incoming uh, Labor federal Labor minister who's in charge of mobile gambling gets taken to dinner by a massive uh, online gambling company the night before the election, and the bill comes in at just under $9,000, which is conveniently just under the mandatory reporting threshold, it doesn't do wonders for my belief in transparency or favoritism or indeed the cost of living crisis. That's an expensive dinner. Additionally, when a mining billionaire can dump $116 million into an election campaign for his own political party, which to me looked a lot more like just flooding the zone than anything else, that cannot be good for our democracy. It can't. We have to cap political campaign spending. I don't care who paid for it. If it's backing a party or a policy, it counts. And from what I can tell, the current level of disclosure is $16,300 for a donation. That's when you have to kind of put your hand up and go, oh, we got a donation from this but $16,300. $16,250 is a huge amount of money for anybody. Yeah. I think we should start talking about that. 24 Ideas for 2024, idea number 22. In the words of Mr. Miyagi, the best way to win a fight with a baseload power generator is to not need it in the first place. So here's the idea washing lines with a Wi-Fi enabled accelerometer and an IR sensor installed in them that offsets the electrical cost of your clothes wash so a three-axis accelerometer so XYZ right it's about two bucks all right you buy 10,000, it was about two bucks and an IR sensor the battery-powered one then that bathroom, we have one that turns the light on, so when Wolfie goes to the toilet at night it shows up, it's about $4 worth of componentry, so the device wouldn't cost much to make. You've got a clothes dryer, I've got a clothes dryer, you've got a washing line, I've got a washing line, we've got a fold-out one that we put on the balcony sometimes. So you take your washing out of the machine, you go to the clothesline, and like a sensor light, knowing that I'm going for a wee in the middle of the night, it logs that I'm standing under the clothesline, the accelerometer attached to the clothesline feels the movements associated with me hanging out everybody's undies gym gear and the, the white towel that I accidentally threw into the machine with all the stuff, which is the white towel is now n- no longer white. I'm going to need to have a conversation with my wife about that when she comes home. And then a couple hours later, when the same sensors detect me standing under that line, the same vibrations of the line as so I remove the clothes, that validates that indeed, yes, everybody's undies are now sunlight fresh and the towel, though, is now the off-white towel, the towel has a sun-dried crispiness, which I am very much looking forward to after my shower tonight. So this information gets sent to the smart meter at the front of my house, and it reads the peak power draw of my wash cycle. It looks like that when you see on a graph. It's very obvious. And then gives me a discounted rate on the electricity that I use to wash the knickers and things. Old school clothes dryers are comically inefficient machines. It's putting a a blow heater on full for two hours, which at peak power times is super-duper expensive. If summer has taught us anything, power draw on the really hot days, that's the days are really excellent for drying clothes outside, or in the sun at least, power draw on those days is immense. It's way more than it is on cold days because people use these... Air conditioners. So any incentive to encourage people to use less power on those days can only be a good thing, and it leaves way more megawatts left over for the air conditioning, which in coming years will be more of a lifesaver than a luxury, to be honest. The best part about this is that the crunchy towel all over your freshly washed naked body, it's all solar, baby. That's yours to keep for free. 24 ideas for 2024. Idea number 23. When we brought in mandatory seatbelt usage in Australian vehicles, we did it over a number of years. There was plenty of notice to get your car up to standard and compliant. And people did grumble. But. What happened is that the horrific death and mutilation of men and women and children dropped 25% within five years and the national road toll dropped by 40% within a decade and has been falling ever since. And this is thanks to our wonderfully strict vehicle safety standards. I can't say the same about our emission standards, but that's another story. So what if I told you that there was a similarly powerful, life-saving safety feature, which is also an incredibly powerful energy-saving feature, and it has already been trialed in Australia, and it is one that we don't yet require in our vehicles, because there is one. Essentially, this idea is that we set a date for V2X safety beacons to be fitted to every vehicle using the road. I'm talking cars, motorbikes, trucks, bicycles, buses, you name it uh, what is v2x it's a fancy way of saying vehicle to everything there's nearly a half a million cars already in australia doing this uh, they're transmitting data as they drive mostly traffic speed and road hazards and things like that Those little icons which pop up on your car navigation if you have it when the road turns red that's vehicles in the traffic communicating outside that vehicle to a system saying hey it's slow up here but for older cars and for bicycles if a beacon were required there's an incredible upside to safety that has been shown in numerous test cases. Essentially, each vehicle is talking to the other vehicles around it all the time. There's a little latency, but it is still quicker than the time it takes for a human to respond to a change in road conditions, which is anywhere between 250 to 500 milliseconds, depending on how complex things are. And then there's a time to get your foot off the brake, accelerator onto the brake. So humans driving have a lag time in responding. um, So this system is still quicker than that. So how does it make things safer? Well, say you're at the lights and you're turning left and a turn left any time with care, you've got your indicator on, and you see the lights change, you see the lane slowing down for the red light, and you go, oh, this is cool. All right, all right they're all okay, ready to go. And you take your foot off your brake, you turn your head, you get ready to go. However, someone has run the red arrow over there and they're now just plummeting through the intersection towards you, but you've already turned your head. You're just about to put pressure on the accelerator and v2x means that the car which ran the red is sending speed and trajectory information out of it and then your car picks that up and goes hang on uh that is bad and accelerating from this point is going to put me in a collision course i'm not going to do that And your car will either alert you to the danger or take over altogether and apply the brakes for you like my uh, nissan leaf does when i'm in traffic Uh, happened the other day someone um ahead of me decided to give way to a person who did not have right of way and they just stopped really unexpectedly in the, in the middle of the road. And the brakes, beep, 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 the brakes just fly on. Uh, that was really great because it stopped me from having a nose to tail, which is absolutely splendid. For cyclists to have a, a beacon, say, on your seat post or something, and there's already bicycles being manufactured with this, that'd be epic because vehicles way behind you, I'm talking like a kilometre back, would be alerted that you're up ahead, you're on the left-hand lane. You're hammering yourself to try to push out 30 kilometers an hour because you're in a 50 zone and there's no bike lane. You're going as fast as you can, but it's still not 50. So rather than a car suddenly coming up behind you, getting real frustrated, the way that cars behind you would know that you're already there because they've been alerted all the way back there. So merge now, and then you just ride past the cyclist rather than rolling down your window and screaming loudly something about Rego. I'm riding. Speaking of bicycles, have you ever seen the peloton on the Tour de France? All those cyclists where they're nearly touching the wheel of the bike in front of them, all right? It's called drafting. And they're doing it because by doing that, they are saving anywhere between 15 and 50% of their energy riding inside the wheel wake of the rider in front, the kind of envelope of low-pressure air and wind velocity created by the rider in front. So with V2X, cars can tuck in behind each other way closer than human drivers ever could and offer significant energy savings to everyone involved, including the car in front. And when cars are using V2X and then they do this, it's called a platoon or platooning. I love there's a word for it. So say you're driving from Adelaide to Melbourne without, you know, giving away your privacy or your destination. Your car can tell other cars around it, look for the next 10 minutes, this car here, we're going straight the nearby vehicles around you get a message going, hey, there's a platoon forming either ahead or behind you. You want to save some fuel, save some energy? We'll guide you in. And if you're three cars back... You'd be so close, though, it'd be full on. Because if you're three cars back, you, you, you're so close, you can see the detail of the doily on the back of the car seat. A doily is, I don't know why. Oh, you put a doily on the back of a car that can do this, but surely there's a Volvo driver that's kept their doily. <laughs> Ask your parents. Uh, so if you're that close, you're pretty much touching bumpers at 110 kilometres an hour. It'd be pretty intense. However, the system is able to use the sensor information from the front vehicle to brake and, and steer essentially, for the whole platoon. The extension of this is like what happened last night. My cousin and her kids, they're in town, they came to visit. And I had to do two trips in our X-Trail because there's five of them and we only have four seats. And if our cars had this technology, I could have towed our LEAF the other car, the electric car, I could have towed our leaf in a platoon all the way to the train station. Three got in my car, two in the other, and they could have driven the other car. Or I, you know, if it was, you know, the the kids or whatever, they didn't feel like driving. I could drive both cars from the front like I was towing it, all right? So understanding that, you know, I'm longer in the road, it takes longer to slow down, take more care, getting out of intersections, that sort of thing. This tech is going to absolutely change how the world drives. It's going to change how safe it is to be on the road. It's semi-autonomous driving. And right now it's very expensive. However, if we rolled out this sort of technology here or created zones or lanes or parts of the, you know, road network that could use it or acquired it over time it would encourage innovation it would make it safe for innovators to invest in this space and create use cases which we could then export around the world brilliant I'd love it 24 ideas for 2024 idea number 24 when it comes to journalism to combat the availability heuristic which is the uh, mental shortcut that prioritises easily recalled information, even if it's not necessarily representative of what's actually happening or even reality, an example would be terrorism in Australia. Thankfully, we've had very, very few moments where we've been touched by this sort of thing. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. It's absolutely happened. But we've had very, very few uh, moments of this compared to any other country. However, when something like it or something that looks like terrorism shows up, The sensational media coverage and commentary and nonstop analysis that goes on for days and weeks leads us to a place where things like racial profiling, which we would previously have never really been into, is now something that has to happen. Uh, I can't take a bottle of water onto a plane. And there's a real unrealistic distrust of the part of our community who has, shall we say, a similar appearance or background or religion to the person who committed the crime. All this despite the fact that the overwhelming majority of people from that community pose absolutely zero threat to anyone. So how does this work? Let's say it's at six o'clock news and the anchor is reporting a story on a uh, tragic car accident, uh, for example. And they go, <clears throat> tragic news from the Hume Highway today where two people were killed as their car lost control and rolled while another car had a family of squishy toddlers trapped in it. Traffic was stopped for hours as bystanders worked to free the cute and squishy children. Can you see the mangled car that they were in? It looks exactly like your car. And see that toy that little girl's holding? Your child has the same one. Tomorrow when you take your kids to school, you're gonna be terrified because you can't stop thinking about this horrible thing that has just happened to these people and you'll believe that it happens every time you get on the road. But then uh, what they'd also have to say is, Despite this horrible tragedy and trauma and this tragic loss of life, these two cars are only two of the trips taken on Australian roads today. Now here's some footage of the 18.7 million other trips safely taken today in Australia. As you can see, it's all, it's all pretty boring. Everyone seems to be going their way pretty safely. Oh look, there's a person giving way really well. Good indicating buddy, yeah. Oh wow. Those people really know how to merge, nice. 18.7 million trips. There's a lot to get through, but everyone just got home just fine, really. really We'll continue our coverage of not a lot going on until you've a more normalized response to getting in your car tomorrow, but we might be a while. Oh, look, there's a 1977 Sunbird. I used to have one of them. Five-speed gearbox, double-barrel carburetor. It was overkill on a four-cylinder, but I was 20. Yeah, you might have to wait a bit for your show at 7.30. We might, we'll be here for a while. Wow. Good job giving way to that school bus, guys. And, And so on. It makes for way less sensational news, but it gives a far more realistic picture of what's actually going on in the world rather than the false belief that everything is bad all the time, everywhere. It isn't. Parts of it are bad parts of it are amazing but if we only hear about the parts that are bad all the time we'll get this false idea that everything's bad all the time and it isn't, like I'm not saying like things are bad but not everywhere and not all at once and that's one of the things that makes living on this planet pretty amazing and pretty interesting so that's it 24 ideas for 2024, thanks for being a part of it, Whew. that's the fifth year I've done it there's heaps of other versions uh, to check out. I worked really hard to make sure I didn't double up. I do enjoy putting them together each year, but I am really painting myself into a corner. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, I've got to say by now I'm a little sick of my own voice, um, but if there's anything I know is that I don't, I don't know anything. Uh, but in not knowing anything, I'm always in a place to learn something, and I enjoy that. I enjoy staying fascinated. I enjoy looking for ways that... The most people can get the most out of something, you know? I enjoy nurturing my sense of possibility. As I said earlier, there was a time when uh, that didn't exist at all, and I viewed every single thing in my sensory input through a, a lens of doom, auditory, visual, touch, feel, smell, everything. It was woeful, it was a horrible way to live. And I worked really, really hard uh, to get to this point, and I, st- I stay working hard to stay here. And while I have been quite fantastical about some of these ideas, ultimately I'm realistic. You know, I understand that the world works in incremental change, and sometimes it's so slow that you just literally don't notice it. And I also know that we can't let perfect be the enemy of good because a step towards a better version of anything is worth it, regardless of it not being a full solution. It's always, always worth moving towards a better outcome than staying in a shitty one. Thanks for being a part of it. Thanks to Andy Marr, who did audio and video post on all these episodes, in all the episodes. Thanks to Abby Benno, who produces the show. Thanks to Ben and Monica for keeping the lights on. It's easy to find me if you need me. You can grab me on Instagram and grab me on TikTok and grab me on email. Um, I'll see you Monday.